Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and front to disclose, back to the Undressing Underground Podcast. And holy shit, guys, next week is the Poe episode. If you haven't fucking submitted yet, please submit. We're still taking Poe poems. I always just want to call them poems, but then I realize that the pun doesn't work because it's part of the word already. Anyway, next week is the Poe episode where we will be playing submissions of readings and musical accompaniment to those readings by people. I could not word this worse. Anyway, fuck all that. Submit their stuff like today's guest did, Sarah Century. This almost didn't fucking happen. And you can learn more about that in the bonus episode I put up on YouTube. It's, uh, I explain it on there, but uh, we had some trouble with talking. And so I had 15 minutes that didn't really fit in this, so I just put it up on YouTube. I might put more bonus stuff up on YouTube in the future, so... Uh, stalk our undressingunderground.com page or our Twitter handle run by I don't know if he wants to be known as the guy running it uh, so I'll just say the Twitter handle for the podcast is UNUN pod I think I'm pretty sure that's the Twitter handle it might be podcast but I'm pretty sure it's pod anyway Today on the show is Sarah Century, a uh, amazing avant-garde multimedia artist. She does fucking everything, and you can find out all of that shit on her blog, uh, sarahcentury.wordpress.com. Sarah spelled S-A-R-A. Uh, you'll hear a couple of her songs. First up, before the interview, will be. What the fuck is it called? It's got a long name. Cindy, you're wonderful. I want to be a queer European dance sensation. It's fairly brief. It's all for Braille album, which you can grab on her Bandcamp page, which you can find through her WordPress. And then after the interview, you will hear, I've got a girlfriend in Canada, but we're open if you are off the upcoming, uh, what's it called? Harry Spider Legs, the label, their party mixtape. Uh, so yeah, here's Sarah Century.
right. Yeah. It, otherwise, like maybe we can put on some like tinfoil hats to try to like tame <laughs> the, the wife. Please work, Tacoma Wi-Fi. I have no idea what just happened, but like while you were saying all that about the like conspiracy theory stuff, like it started lagging, and all of a sudden there was just this loud uh, noise. <laughs> Whoa! I didn't hear that uh, on my side. Yeah, I don't know. What was it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, hope... government. <laughs> I mean, if we start having problems again, I guess we can try switching to the phone again because your phone works mm -hmm. at your apartment. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, if my phone works, which is actually kind of unlikely, but we'll see. Oh, God, really? <laughs> Why are you yeah. the hardest person to get a hold of? <laughs> uh, this is just kind of like how I roll, I guess. <laughs> It's just what life is like for me. It's just always hard to get a hold of me. I didn't even have a phone for a long time. Like even a cell, like not even a landline. Even a cell phone. Yeah, I was like Prince about that shit. I was like, what a joke. So you're, you're probably the most deliberately underground person I've talked to so far. Then. <laughs> yeah. Besides, I'm just always kind of like, uh, yeah. I feel like I just tell everybody to, kind of fun. yeah, it's deliberately underground. I would say. Um. Okay, I'm still losing you some. Maybe we should turn our cameras off, and then maybe we can get... Maybe it's just dedicated only to audio. It'll be a little bit better. Yeah. Let's try it. Okay. <laughs> there yep, you go. got it. Okay, cool. Maybe this will work. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, all right, so I guess last time we were talking, I could just include parts of that. <laughs> um, and we... I can say it again. <laughs> Do you remember what you said? <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> well, do you do you remember what you said? Nope. <laughs> yeah, me neither. So I guess we'll just. I never. We were talking about um, depiction of the lesbians in film, and uh, always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that all you do now? Is about? Is it all dedicated to film now? Your whole persona, I guess. Not really, but it's just kind of what I'm having to focus on right now. Why is that? Uh, I have. I'm doing a book right now that's about it and then also uh bitch also has like this really nice editor named sarah merck who needs pieces so she'll like email me and be like oh here's this like random film thing want to write about it and i'm like yeah <laughs> of course i do because <laughs> i always do what sort of things is she sending you oh uh, the last thing was the the women in martial arts movie so that was pretty after that I pitched an article that was like uh that I just finished that's how queer women are portrayed in horror films okay and yeah the book that I'm writing about is just like across all genres yeah uh and so it's I've had to watch so many movies and like look at it so much and the research has taken a really long time so the way that I'm kind of focusing on it right now has a lot to do with the completion of that book hmm I keep, mm -hmm. I keep hearing that noise. I just realized it sounds like a garbage disposal thing in the sink. Whoa. Yeah, I don't know what that. I've never heard it before, like over no. over an internet. Um, but uh, I guess back on your book and stuff. Like, I'm curious because like I do watch a lot of horror films each year. Um, what have you found yeah. about uh Quirman horror films? Because like I'm trying to think. I can't think of many like. The one that comes to mind is like a sort of femme fatale sort of situation where the other woman's seduced. Is that like par for the course mostly? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it really is. 
Um, but there's a few different tropes, I would say, in horror films. There's definitely, like, the evil lesbian. You know, we have, like, the lesbian vampire, which was right. probably, honestly, like, the most prevalent age of lesbians throughout most of the 20th century, I would say, well, which is strange to, but true. Well, I mean, it goes back to Carmilla, though. Like, they're all just riffing on that, probably. Really hard. It's just <laughs> kind of that, that story right there, again yeah. and again. And so you just see, like, I mean, there's probably hundreds of of that story at this point. So there's that. There's uh, Now you have the, the martyr lesbian, which shows up sometimes. The martyr lesbian, since in the film, martyrs. Or like in the film, Here Comes the Devil, where you just have this like kind of exaggerated, like, since goes sort of lesbian character who has a crush on like one of her friends or she's closeted or something. And like the whole thing is like she gets brutalized like through the movie. Martyrs is like famously just one of the most horrifying movies yeah. and the the lesbian character the queer character gets completely brutalized and killed definitely but it's kind of like those images are kind of like what's sort of more modern and then you have like lucky mckee movies where it's kind of like riffing on that but with more of like a feminism via a male perspective kind of lens and those movies are pretty good i don't know i think horror is all i like a lot of horror films but uh, throughout like the 20th century, there really wasn't a lot of images of queer women at all in film. So the appearances that we have in horror are kind of more prevalent and they're kind of like horror was like low budget, you know, shown very seldomly in theater or in theaters. And so it kind of had more of a uh, just like the portrayal of queer women because it didn't have anything to lose where like a drama probably like wasn't allowed to right. do that via the Hayes or the Hayes code <laughs> or anything along those lines. Or else like a lot of what I found um, in college was like a lot of uh, like almost all gay representation in film throughout for a, like a long while before like European art films are becoming a thing was basically just in like the sort of underground like quasi or pseudo porno films like playing in like the grindhouse circuit like once again all the mm -hmm. budget things like so they were getting theatrical releases but like they were limited to sort of perverse areas like where people had to like walk in st on sticky floors and everything to see it and i guess it's mostly aimed at right. men still persona you have um, like the conformist maholland drive even as a more recent art house film yeah that had lesbians that both like had horrible things happen to them of course <laughs> it is interesting like why do you think that is i think that people really are not chill with lesbians <laughs> honestly <laughs> i think that uh historically people have been extremely not chill with lesbians yeah. so the depictions of lesbians are traditionally like they're pathetic or they're like trying to steal like this they're trying to like seduce a straight woman or something or they're just fucked up <laughs> <laughs> somehow they're vampires you know like there's something just absolutely wrong with them and that's kind of the way that queer women are sort of portrayed even today in film for the most part yeah yeah i just i mean it's interesting though because like when a sort of trope i guess i've noticed like i just finished watching audrey rose 
And um, yeah, <laughs> and last night I watched uh, the Poltergeist, and there's this ongoing trip in horror films. I, I don't know if it's still going on now because I don't watch a lot of modern horror, but this idea of like the woman being the one who like will accept that like fucked up shit is going on, <laughs> and then the guy is always yeah. just like, "You're crazy." Uh, uh, yeah, and the survival of the male character is often dependent on how much he grows to see things from the female perspective. Uh, and that's interesting as well. I think that horror honestly is quite feminist for the most part, because yeah. as much as you think like terrible things have, none of the male characters ever are likable. Like oh, no. you don't really see a guy that you like relate to who you think is awesome at all. Like they're all just terrible. So like the women in these movies are very strong characters and I think that they have stronger characterization for the most part than a lot of genres like, you know, romantic comedy or right. something like that. Yeah, I mean some like like a like a Jamie Lee Curtis character in Halloween like where she's being terrorized the entire time like is she still like a fully fleshed character unlike in most other films? Yeah, she's rad. Yeah. Like, she's doing all of the right stuff. It's not her fault that no. bad things keep happening to her like she does the right things to get out of those situations. Michael Myers is just too <laughs> crazy, too yeah. scary. She's fighting the patriarchy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's those movies pretty much in a nutshell, I would say. <laughs> yeah, just slut shaming and uh <laughs> Yeah, there's a little bit of slut shaming in there. I'm not gonna lie, that's oh, that's real. But I mean, like they're fighting back against it. Like he's like debate. I don't, I'm just making this all up now, but like he's coming through and like killing all these people for having sex and everything, or being women, and she's like fighting back. And I don't yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> that's real. That's totally real. Yeah. Um, but so you're also making your own film, right? Right now, you're like in pre-production. Yeah. Style? And uh, <laughs> what's going on with that? <laughs> It's hard, and uh, I just finished the script, and I'm, like, way behind schedule, as I usually am, <laughs> but it's going to be okay. Uh, I am making the first, to my knowledge, feminist Western film that is exclusively, like, about, a like, a Western narrative, like, a hero who kind of, like, goes after these, like, bad people and tries to, like, kill them. But the whole situation is all my personal message that violence is really bad and that <laughs> we really just glorify it way too much in Westerns as well as most other films. Is this like a literal Western or is this sort of like one of those Tarantino mashup things where like it'll be like in the present oh, day God. sort of thing? I hope it's nothing like a Tarantino <laughs> film, but at the same time, it is definitely a lot more modernized. I felt like it would be a lot easier to just accept that there was a modern context for it than mm -hmm. to kind of try to make it a period piece whenever I don't have nearly enough budget right. <laughs> for like the costuming or any of that stuff. So, so like what, what's the setting like then? Is it like in a city or is it going to, cause you were in Albuquerque recently, uh, scouting, yeah, I thought you said. Gonna be, mm -hmm, it's going to be outside of Albuquerque. So it's going to be like in the desert. So that should be good. Uh, <laughs> it's really fascinating terrain in Albuquerque. So I just love that whole general region. And like, my cat always does this. Every time I'm doing an interview, he walks into the mic and just oh, yeah. against it. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a cat right there. Cats oh yeah. Do that. They like to go to exactly the place where you don't want them to be. Yeah, and I keep throwing them off the table and he keeps walking right back mm -hmm. up. <laughs> yeah, um, they love doing that. <laughs> 
but I don't want to like uh, draw too much out of you, I guess, and like about the film that's not even made yet. But uh, I am curious about the setting. Like, is it like just straight up in the desert the whole way through, or are there like towns? Like, I think that I'll probably try to uh, interject like a little bit of like the punk scene, I guess, because there's a lot of musicians I know in Albuquerque that are really great. Oh, so yeah. kind of like having characters be at a show while some dramatic situation is going on is probably going to be something that's consistent in a lot of the films that I do, uh, just based on that's what my entire life has been <laughs> pretty much. I like, I don't know what other people do to socialize. I think they go to like bars or something and just like sit around and watch sports or something. Yeah, I mean, but, this is uh, I what, I've, <laughs> what I've always done is go to shows. I don't know their life would be otherwise. Yeah. So, of course, that stuff will work its way in. I mean, so, like, what are these shows? Like, I went to, uh, I was in Santa Fe one time. I was a teenager uh, when a bunch of my dad's films were showing, and we got taken to, uh, like, a fan of his Sun Ra film, had, take, took us to, uh, like, this compound almost they had in, like, the desert, kind yeah. of. Is it, like, kind of <laughs> like that? Like, these, like, little communes of, like, people putting on punk shows, but also living in these, like, weird deserted areas? Oh, for sure. Yeah. In a lot of the places in New Mexico, you'll find some really surprising places where you'll kind of have these like punk scenes or like people who are really punk that are doing like electronic music and stuff like that. <laughs> really interesting stuff in New Mexico because there's almost no threat whatsoever that anybody is going to discover somebody there. <laughs> like there's not a lot of like scouts that are just like Albuquerque is the next big thing or something like that. Like it's just probably not going to happen. It doesn't make a lot of sense for that to become a city that just blows up or something. So you have a lot of people who are just creating an almost a total vacuum, which I think is just absolutely fascinating. And how did you find out about this? I'm affiliated with Titrange Fest in Denver, which is a feminist festival with a basis on like a lot of queer artists. Yeah. And uh, there is a, another festival called Gatsi Vatas that was based on Titrange, only it's about se or solo female performers. And I played at Gatsi's, and then I met a lot of the women who I know in Albuquerque at Titrange. So those people were doing really just absolutely far out performance art that uh, it just inspired me so much. Like. This last year I did a musical and toured on it. And like, I can't think that that would have actually been something that I did if I had never met them or something. And this musical, wasn't it a one woman show? Yeah. <laughs> so what exactly, really yeah, what exactly is this? Like, I've been, I've been really curious since I heard about it. I don't know if you have any footage online or anything, but like uh, the concept I'm of filming it all next weekend. Oh, you are. Mm -hmm. where, where at in Denver or Seattle? Uh, in, in Tacoma, <laughs> in uh, somebody's attic, actually, Neely really? from In My Dress Press, it's in her attic. Oh, nice. Uh, she's, I'm doing like a residency through them. And so primary focus of me being here is working out a lot of projects. And I was like, yeah, that, that like musical I wrote that's over an hour long that I performed <laughs> in like 10 cities. Should I like record that or something? That seems important. Yeah. Then people like maybe will know that it happened. I do a lot of these like one-off performances and then I'm just like done with it and like never talk about it again. So it seems like I kind of have to start like sticking to it a little bit more. Yeah. Film it this, this upcoming weekend with cool cameras that I'm getting from the Northwest Film Forum, which is an organization I've volunteered for in 
Oh, sorry, you cut off at the end there. I wasn't sure you were done. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so what is the musical, though? Is it like, is it like a personal uh, story or is it like a completely fictional thing? Uh, it's a little bit of both. I had to like definitely base it on myself a little bit, I would say, because uh, it's me in a room for an hour. So I don't know. But <laughs> it's a bunch of songs. It's like a musical, obviously. But the whole premise of the musical is that um, I come home one day and there's an aquarium. The name of the musical is Aquarium. Uh, there's an aquarium in my house that my ex-girlfriend in just like chilling in my apartment with three fish in it and I've been caring for them for a while and then I come home one day and it's like a year after the relationship ended and they're all dead and so I have to work out all of my emotions on the relationship through these fish while kind of singing to them while they're dead which yeah that's that's the plot yeah. I don't know oh <laughs> uh, wait what <laughs> Why are you singing <laughs> to them exactly? Like, is it to help them or just to help you? Well, it's kind of like a processing, you know? Like, so it's all this stuff that normally I would maybe be, like, thinking inside of my head. Yeah. But, you know? And also, it kind of, I'm, like, trying to figure out what to do with them because I don't know how to, like, bury fish. I'm, like, in an apartment in the city. I don't know what to do with them. Um, and so I go through a lot of the options that are available to me. <laughs> <laughs> You don't just want in to flush them? In the form them. of a song. <laughs> <laughs> Your character just doesn't want to flush them for whatever reason? Yeah, I think it I think it creeps her slash me out a little bit <laughs> to flush fish down a toilet. Especially since, like, she, she slash I am having these kind of weird emotions around it. So it's like, I don't want to flush them. I can't bury them. Like, what am I supposed to do with them? I mean, it's at least, like their native habitat like it's still in water at least right oh that is actually a really nice way of looking at it <laughs> <laughs> i think it's like the whole thing is based on the fact that like they're, they're a synonym for the relationship they're right. like a metaphor for it so the whole time she's not letting go of it because yeah. it's hard to let go of it it's he... hard to just like flush a relationship down the toilet even yeah. though it's a year ago <laughs> You know, this character is basically me, so it's a person who just, like, spends all of her time working really hard and not thinking about emotions, and then these fish die, feelings happen, songs happen. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no, like, you're not doing, like, voices for other characters or anything? It's all, it's literally all just you? No, there are voices, but they come in, they're as phone calls. Oh, okay. Oh, but they're just my voice um, <laughs> at different pitches. <laughs> uh, like, like what, in the computer? Like changing the pitch? Mm -hmm. Yeah, going into like audacity and changing the pitch <laughs> and being like, here's like a slightly deeper voice. Here's a slightly higher voice. Isn't audacity the but best? Like even though it's not the it's best so audio editing software, it's just so good that it's free. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. I agree with that. The noise removal function is great. Oh, I know. Like, if I mean, at least if you use it right. Like, I've used mm -hmm. it, like, way too heavy a lot of times and just ended up with, like, that jangly sort of sound throughout. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I guess we might as well just go into music. Uh, what other kind of music have you done? Because you've been in bands and stuff, too, right? Ah, yes, music. <laughs> um, that's, like... Probably for most of like my 20s, music was 
the primary thing I did, I did a ton of touring. I did like so, so much touring throughout like the West Coast and the Midwest, hmm. uh, but very, very underground. And so all of the places I were playing were all ages venues, DIY spaces. So, you know, kind of naturally like smaller shows. Right. And also just kind of like in the strangest places that one could imagine. <laughs> and well, like what? <laughs> that was a lot of like, uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of those places kind of have like that samey, like their art colonies, but for like uh, people who are maybe in their 20s or their teens or something like that. So you, it's kind of like a uh, Lost Boys ish <laughs> as far as like, it's like the Peter Pan world where like it's never Neverland or something. Like everybody right. kind of lives in this like, and I've lived in those places as well. And that's like how I live my life is totally in Never Neverland. So I'm not <laughs> insulting that. Yeah. I'm just saying that they're a little weird to like go to night after night. Right. Well, they're so um, personal too, I imagine. It's sort of like oh, yeah. kind of creepy almost like you're invading something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause a lot of people live in those places as yeah. well. And I've lived in those places. I've lived in art warehouses before. Uh, <laughs> and it's once again, like being 27 and, not being a grown-up somehow yeah <laughs> i'm trying uh, to but like that's great that's what's magic about it <laughs> yeah what do you ever experience like i remember there was this one philly uh this like giant warehouse i went to this one time for a couple of, well, i went to a couple of times for a different couple of different shows and there was just like this one guy who's like in his 60s he looks like santa claus he's just walking around barefoot around all these cats with a glass of red wine <laughs> oh yeah yeah it gets absolutely like it just gets so weird <laughs> Some of those places are just so weird. I was in a punk band that was called Night Nurses. And Night Nurses uh, went to Indianapolis one time. And we were... Right where I am. We went to this... It was like, actually, no, it's Lafayette or something. It's outside of Indianapolis. Yeah, it's like an hour north, I think. Yeah, yeah. We got lost in Indianapolis. (laughs) (laughs) And then we like uh, ended up in this other town. And the town... We were actually supposed to be there, but like Indian getting there took forever. So once we finally got to Lafayette, the house that we were trying to play at or we were scheduled to play at, they had never gone to DIY shows and they had not promoted the show. So like (laughs) it was only like four or five people. And I think that they were all maybe related or like really close friends. They were all guys. And they kept saying some like crazy like, uh, I don't mean to overuse the word crazy. That's a fucked up word. But yeah. <laughs> it was, like, really whack shit, you know, like, about women, kind of, but not knowing that they were being whack about it. Like, right. this guy who was playing guitar songs and being like, this girl should be mine. She just doesn't understand and shit like that. And it's just like, damn, dog. Like, train. Nobody <laughs> should be yours. Yeah. Like, she should be her own. Sounds like she is. Like, <laughs> stop writing songs about it. Um, (laughs) and so we played like in this guy's bedroom, which was really awkward and just, we were really mad. I think the whole time (laughs) or like kind of just like weirded out. Yeah. Um, so that was a really strange one. They're just, it's endless. It goes on forever. But, uh, my music history is, is that I was in a few bands that were terrible. Um, when I was really young, not because I was the songwriter. I was, in fact, not the songwriters. And perhaps that is why I found them terrible. Um, but <laughs> they kind of, like, the guys in them were terrible. He, just, like, the worst. They were so sexist and so fucking shitty. So, like, after I stopped, I was, like, I was in, like, two or three of those bands. Was it just, like, the sexist, most 
bastard sons of bitches. And I was just like, okay, I can't handle this, you know, like this is never going to work. So I was like, I should just quit music. So I kind of stopped playing music. Um, and then I was like, no, I could just start my own band where I'm the songwriter. Right. <laughs> and be like Courtney Love or something. It doesn't happen a lot, supposedly, but it does. Like, it's just really varied. Like, you know, like, obviously, there's a million female fronted bands. There's no women in music. Where do they all go? And we're all kind of raised to think that in this society, even though the instances of women just being amazing in music are obviously countless. Right. Uh, just they're not respected on the same level. So that's like a constant thing. But whenever I started the bands that I did with other people, I kind of never really liked them. I was still kind of like <laughs> mad all the time, you know, about stuff because I don't know, like there's a lot to do with gender dynamics. And whenever you're in a band, it's kind of hard sometimes to be the woman, you know, the one woman. Right. So um, those bands ended up not existing anymore. Although I was in one that was called the Somnambulist. That was extra fun. Um, and that one was still good. It just ended as a band. And then after that, I was solo for a really long time. I did a, at first a one woman band kind of thing where I was playing drums with my feet and like keyboards with one hand, guitar with another hand. Like Wait, the same time playing guitar and keyboard? Like I can understand, I've seen the drums well, before, but playing two different instruments, like two different melodic instruments, that's insane. Yeah, doing like finger tapping on one or something. So it was kind of like a percussive style of, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, of guitar playing. Uh, so doing that, then I went to playing with just like an acoustic guitar and then sometimes just playing with like a Casio. Uh, I played with an organ for a while, but only <laughs> because I lived in a venue. So all of my shows were like in that venue. Oh, nice. So I didn't have to move it. <laughs> the second I had to move it, it was like, nope, goodbye. Like a huge, but that like, was a really cool time. Like an actual like B3 organ or something? A Hammond, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're pretty sweet. Uh, that's actually, I think, my favorite instrument. I wish that they were so, so much lighter and so much easier to carry than they actually are. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, and then more recently, it's been kind of more like uh, I stopped playing guitar for a while and just kind of started playing uh, sampler and keyboards and stuff like that. And that's been a lot of my more recent stuff that's kind of more like uh, dancey or industrial or something like that. What are you sampling? But, like, are you just sampling your your voice or other instruments or... It depends. It changes song to song. It's you can do anything with a sampler, so oh, yeah. it's I'm, hard to. That's why I'm curious. Cause I'm curious, like how far, like into noise, you might be going. Not that far, but I mean, it does still kind of like trip people out because a lot of it's scary, you know. <laughs> like industrial is scary, even if it's kind of dancey. Yeah, um, that's why it's great. There's one thing in. There's one thing I did in specific that I personally still get like a little freaked out by. That's like. Uh, my friend Val, who plays music as Between Youth and who is just a wonderful human being who I probably, <laughs> I've had conversations with most other people, um, but being on tour with her, she used to always make fun of me kind of, or like be a little offended because I constantly sigh. Like I'm always <laughs> just like, I'll be thinking really hard about something and then I'll kind of come to this weird conclusion on it and then be like, <sighs> <laughs> And she, it used to drive her nuts because she was like, why do you always sigh? Like, what is the deal? What's the matter? Like, why don't you tell me? <laughs> so this is a lot of, like what most of our interactions are like very funny. But 
what ended up happening was I sampled myself sighing and I like <laughs> sent it to her because she was mixing this album. So she had to like mix it and it was just me sighing like again <laughs> and again and again. So <laughs> these are the kind of like weird jokes that work their ways into my songs a lot of the time where like I don't tell anybody about them, but to me they're really funny. Um, that one is still a really kind of scary song. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's just this like amplified sigh, like, ah, just so <laughs> creepy sounding. What are the sort of influences that are going into this sort of things? I listened to a couple of your albums and I heard at least one song that sounded like a straight up resonance song, just like yeah. really loud, like discordant piano riff playing over and over again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love the resonance. And I love uh, Nina Hagen, you know, like I love Yoko Ono. Yeah. <laughs> I love those like really fucking out there women honestly for the most part yeah uh and i think that like yoko ono might just be in general my favorite artist <laughs> and so with her it's like it kind of cracks me up because it's like i can't say that to anyone like want to listen to my stuff like it's not <laughs> like yeah it'll totally remind you of yoko ono and everybody's like i want to listen to that right now <laughs> i mean they won't even like, know what it is like I th most people yeah. hate her but they don't actually know anything she does they don't know anything about her yeah. they don't fucking know her but then also jarbo i love jarbo and then a lot of the women who i know like the women who are involved in the gata zivatas festival in albuquerque uh such as big a Watt, Tons, Lady Uranium, Animal, just a huge list of people who are just absolutely incredible. I wish I knew any of these names. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're very, very underground. And I think that that ends up being the case with a lot of really experimental solo women. Like we're doing just really groundbreaking kind of stuff. And yet <laughs> it's in this like absolute vacuum. Like you don't really talk to other people about it people don't give you the same level of praise like if you look at avant-garde artist lists they always list like you have you know like philip glass is a great composer who he and he is like yeah. he's great and then you have like this list of like men um and they don't bring up meredith monk they don't bring up alice coltrane they don't bring up yoko ono and these are like our heavy hitters, you know, like right. these are like the people who are doing great avant-garde stuff. I mean, I actually found, um, coincidentally, I found Sassy Black through Bitch Magazine yeah. because they had the top five black woman electronic musicians on there. She's great. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> she's fantastic. Yeah, she's. Uh, she was so much fun to talk to you too. <laughs> I'm uh, sure all of her like tweets are just like the best tweets. Like oh, she's like, "Sassy Black loves you." <laughs> just like, "Oh my god, yeah, I love like, you too." Everything's a hashtag too. Just, um, I know. <laughs> I love it. But so, how do you find uh, these acts usually? Uh, if not through the sort of normal lists or anything, like do you already only really, can you only really find them like through these festivals and just generally live? And touring so much. And the fact that like, even though I'm such a low key minor DIY celebrity, <laughs> I still do have that behind me. <laughs> like yeah. there's still like enough people who hear about me who will still be hitting me up and stuff like that and being like, your stuff is so great and like, you know, stuff like that. And then I'm just like, oh, I should listen to your music back. And yeah. <laughs> you end up discovering some just incredible shit by the people who are like, wow, independent, female, queer, feminist artist. I am too. 
<laughs> like <laughs> you're the only one I know of and so like they will email me and I'll end up in touch with them about that or like I say if I go through towns so, like you just ask your friends like oh what person would you think would fit on a bill with me and it's usually nobody but sometimes <laughs> it's like that one weird girl that everybody knows in their town do you wish there was more organization I mean not organization between all the acts but like that there was like uh, when I did this Noise Fest documentary thing, one of the things Arvo said is just like a hot, uh, Arvo Zilo said, a noise musician in Chicago said, is like how it's hard to really reach out because there isn't like an MTV for noise or anything. Like there's no real, I mean, he couldn't think of anything at least, like an organization that's really uh, trying to bring together all of the underground, like to uh, list them somewhere and make them. Uh, create some kind of archive I guess of like different <laughs> underground scenes yeah good luck hurting cats like <laughs> you're never gonna get all the DIY people together that's right. impossible that's never gonna happen that's um, just like that is like maybe a group of 500 people like right. in the country probably that are really good DIY solo artists or something along those lines and those artists are all just moody away from humanity like usually really funny usually really educated and really cool but it's like it would be absolutely impossible to group them together in any way as far as I'm concerned like you can say like I have things in common with a lot of people but nobody's like oh yeah two Sarah centuries or something <laughs> like that like there just isn't two and I think that that's the case of a lot of these artists like they're we're all kind of just like our own thing so much that it's kind of hard to group it together. But that said, obviously, like I just got finished co-hosting Gatas y Vatas, which is a festival all around kind of trying to bring people like that together. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I love that those festivals exist, but like it does seem like there should be something online at this point. <laughs> like there should mm. I mean, like I saw that there's that one podcast. I think I maybe found it through you. I haven't listened to it yet, but called the Homo Underground about yeah. different. Yeah. About different like DIY sort of uh, gay and lesbian and trans uh, uh, what you, uh, musicians. Mm -hmm. And also uh, there's this website network awesome that just uh sort of plays different youtube videos and they'll play like uh whatever like they'll play uh david lynch and harmony korean and stuff but they'll also like that's where i found uh the breathing lights documentary uh that punk mm. the black punk band in uh chicago and like i don't know like it seems it seems like there should be something like with how many podcasts there are, with how many like internet YouTube channels there are, like there's like there, mm -hmm. there must there should be somebody out there like trying to archive this, or maybe there is and just when we haven't found them yet. <laughs> yeah, when those things happen, I think that the biggest problem is is that also none of us have the same push as a lot of really boring artists because <laughs> the way that society kind of rewards mediocrity in its right. artists is huge and not to be discounted because back in the 70s people like captain beefheart were famous you know yeah <laughs> like captain beefheart is not going to be famous now like we would not know if there was a captain beefheart performing out there right now uh because it's just kept underground and you're kind of taught to believe that things that are weird are not good now <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like there are occasionally ones that get through like somehow harmony kareem was able to make spring breakers i mean i guess yeah not somehow usually like, men but yeah, yeah there's usually 
there are these people who do get through yeah and it's always just like one <laughs> like there's like always like one per generation or a few like i've heard this with stand-up yeah. comedians like there's like the few stand-up comedians of every generation that are household names and it seems like the same thing with the underground like every generation there's mm -hmm. like a few people that somehow are allowed to be mainstream to whatever extent Mm -hmm. yeah like the talking heads in the 80s or something where like yeah they were doing just very challenging music but at the same time they were famous yeah or even just Lori like, anderson Lori. oh yeah yeah is she still doing stuff like i know she performs yeah, I just heard that she was doing um gosh something that sounded so fascinating i wish i remembered what it was some kind of collaboration check her website i guess yeah <laughs> i still regret i uh like years ago, I saw that her and uh, Lou Reed were doing a Valentine's Day show at the Stone in New York. Oh my god! I know, and it was probably just Noisa too. Which I've seen, I saw Lou Reed once doing like his act, uh, but I never got to see him do noise. And that would have been that seems like it would have been amazing just see the two of them together, just like yeah, yeah. Oh well, <laughs> regret. Yeah. Um. So. How about we move on to comics then? Because that was the first thing you listed in your email, and it's saying I it's, love comics. Yeah, <laughs> what about them? Like, what about them? Like, compels you so much? They were just the first thing that I fell in love with. I think whenever I was a kid, I think maybe like well, music. You know, like I remember yeah. hearing like Chuck Berry and being like, <laughs> "This is music. Yeah. This is all music." And you know, like Paula Abdul, which is slightly less defensible at this point, but it's still really good, you know? Yeah. Um, so I remember like getting really into music and everything, but with comics, they are art and they are stimulating intellectually as well as just being kind of like lightweight entertainment. Like there's a lot of different things that you can convey in comics and aesthetically they have had such an impact on me that's lasted my entire life that it's almost hard to pinpoint what the origin point of just the fact that, like, as I was first picking up comic books, I felt like they were just the best thing in the world. What kind of comic books were they? Were they, like, superhero comic books? Uh, the first things I was reading were the, kind of the standard comics. Like, you had uh, Archie Comics, like, Sab okay. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, <laughs> and all of those kind of, like, little kid comics. Uh, Carl Barks's Uncle Scrooge, which is still, to this day, both awesome but then also unfortunately really racist oh, shit. Um, <laughs> they're really good as a kid but then you get older and you're just like Meh. yeah yeah i found it sort of weird that uh there was a huge deal about making that tintin movie because like when you actually look mm -hmm. at like the tintin books it's not like do we really need to save this <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah the storytelling it's like the spirit too like the yeah. spirit was racist as fuck <laughs> um so it's kind of like you see the storytelling aspect separately sometimes as an adult, but yeah, it is kind of indefensible to have those moments, even though people are like, it was the time they were confused. It's like, yeah, cry me a river. Like, yeah, I, there are people like, that weren't like there was John Brown in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, but so how did you end up getting into more underground stuff? Like, was there, a, was there like a specific comic or like just a day or something where all of a sudden all of this just came flooding into you? Uh, well, whenever I was like probably about 10, 11, 12, I kind of had a extremely troubled home life. Mm. It's no exaggeration to say that it was really violent and upsetting. Oh. Um, and I started reading a lot of superhero comics. And I don't think that anybody was teaching me morality 
comic books were. So I kind of clung to them a lot and got really interested in the drama and how they interrelate to each other because I was not relating to people very well. <laughs> so superhero comics were really interesting to me for a long time and they, they remain so. And I would say that like the first like grown up comic that I read or like the first independent, supposedly it's not independent at all, but it's <laughs> the Sandman was like the first kind of like adult content thing that I read. Yeah, uh, as far as being into independent comics, I would say maybe like Madman or like Bone or something were my original indies that I was reading. But uh, both of those are like kind of really famous <laughs> comics. <laughs> so even though they're independent, they were still fairly well known. Um, and then just kind of via the fact that I had a longstanding obsession with it, I keep just going deeper and deeper into comics. Where do you go to now? Like, is it mostly through things you're finding online or is it still stuff that's available in stores? Hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I think that there's stuff that I find online. Like I found Kate Beaton online and I think that she's just the funniest person alive. And um, a lot of the indie comics I find online, like Bitch Planet, I probably <laughs> wouldn't have seen if, you know, somebody wasn't telling me about it. And uh, then, like, superhero comics, I, like, go into a store and look at. Like, that's usually where you would find a superhero comic, I would think. Well, yeah. Well, I guess unless you get the apps now, because, like, Marvel's, like, mm -hmm. was really pushing their app for a while. Yeah. Well, which is, which is good. But being able to read comics on their computers is great. Yeah, it makes them more accessible. Mm -hmm. It makes them easier to store, too. I had to yeah. get rid of a bunch of comics because I had, like, 5,000 of them. So it was kind of nice to be, like, okay, I'm just going to read them online now. <laughs> like, yeah, it's sort of the same thing we all went through with music like 10 years ago. God. Yeah, CDs, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, they're, I don't know. I mean, I, go, I don't know that vinyl was particularly easier to store than CDs. Mm -mm. No, but it's more worth it. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I still kind of yeah. like CDs for whatever reason. I don't know. I miss cassettes a little mm -hmm. bit. Cassettes are the best, but cassettes have like a really big resurgence over the last decade. A lot of independent bands that can't afford to do vinyl but don't want to do CDs because nobody really buys them will put out tapes. Yeah, and I remember reading uh, when Of Montreal put out all of their back catalog on cassette, something they said about it in an interview or an article or something was that um, they basically see it as a way to sell the download code. Uh, mm -hmm. yep. like, yes, that's yeah. what I do too yeah so you get like the thing but then you also like they said they would sell t-shirts as albums too um, mm -hmm. yep so uh, do you uh, I guess as far as comics go uh, you mentioned like the crazy levels of massage and everything was like there a certain point that you started realizing that and started discovering more uh, woman friendly comics oh yeah it's shocking as fuck like whenever you first start discovering sexism it's shocking like you yeah. don't know nobody tells you about that nobody prepares you to have to deal with the fact that it's fucking everywhere right. like it's it's something that really sneaks up on you because it's all of the stuff that people have been normalizing to you for such a long time and uh in comics sexism is like it's so terrible, but I was raised in a house that read comics recreationally. And so to me, the sexism was not as visible because I was focusing on the elements where it was like the strong female hero who's kind of like saving the day. Like 
it's hard to like look at Storm as being a character who is either exploited or sexualized because she is obviously such a strong character. Yeah. But at times, there's definitely sexism towards Storm. There's definitely racism from the writers towards Storm. Hmm. That's just a thing. It's absolutely there. So it's just kind of like um, it's kind of difficult to like start. Like you kind of have to look at everything for a really long time. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> and that's not what other people are taking from it. Like I was taking this from it, but that doesn't mean that's what anybody else is seeing. Like right. other people, like a lot of teen guys or something like that are getting really fucked up messages about women from these. Um, and that's not everybody, you know, like I don't think I took it that way. But yeah. at the same time, you know, it is many comics fans and many comics creators. And there's just a huge and documented history of sexism in the industry. Like if you read enough about comics, you have to know that secretaries, you know, in Marvel were people who there were women who went to art school and then they showed up at Marvel for a job and Marvel was like, you can answer our phones. And that's what the role of women was for the most part. There weren't women who were in those positions of being the artist unless they were a ghostwriter or they were doing art on the sly, doing finishes supposedly is what they call that, which means that they sometimes were doing just the entire workload of the art. Wait, really? And they weren't getting like necessarily paid for this? Or accredited. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I assumed accredited, but like they weren't getting paid for the work either. I mean, it would be a guy's girlfriend or something. Oh my God. And what, yeah, what was like, what was the goal of the guy in that situation? Do you know? It was Making like, money. It was. It wasn't like being. It was like being lazy. It wasn't like trying to like get their influence in it at all. I think that in the time period when a lot of that stuff was happening, say like the '40s or something like that. Yeah. Obviously, there was just a different gender dynamic. So the fact that they were doing it would have been very normalized by society. I think. Huh. That's really sad. <laughs> um, oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. Terrible. Uh. Well, how about we move on to podcast then Yay. <laughs> um, so you do your own podcast on youtube uh yeah why youtube well i think that i'm gonna have to not do it on youtube anymore <laughs> to be perfectly honest because i just got uh filed under explicit content so people who are under the age of 18 cannot listen to my podcast and the reason behind that is somebody reported me as being explicit content um Huh. which is absurd because it's a review site. So right. oh, point am I doing any, like those movies aren't banned. Like nobody bans those movies. Like a lot of the, for instance, vampire lesbian movies I'm talking about can be viewed on Vimeo, YouTube, really multiple places around the internet. Yeah. So it's, pretty absurd that my commentary is filed under explicit content um so i think i'm gonna have to maybe not do it through them anymore that seems kind of fucked up do you think so, you were flagged by somebody what's that do you think you were flagged by somebody yeah do you have any idea who it might be like if they're like probably some... just some asshole there's like eighty thousand <laughs> views on that video i have no idea who did it like yeah. some person who thinks that they have control over the internet or something <laughs> i don't know like it's really stupid to me just some angry guy from reddit oh god you know or anywhere <laughs> yeah. anywhere honestly just some guy but so, kind of sitting around being like i don't like lesbians like 
I don't like this girl talking about lesbians. This is explicit. Yeah. So what are you planning then? Are you planning on moving to an audio podcast or are you still going to be yeah, doing video? Yeah, I'm probably going to try to move to an audio one. I'm going to do a series of interviews, I think, coming up that are going to be podcast form. Oh, so cool. that'll probably do some kind of, I have no idea. I'll figure it out when it comes to it. Besides, it would be easier to have like an RSS feed, I think, if I were doing just an audio one. Yeah. It'd be easier to get it on iTunes and shit like that. So so what was the, why did you decide to start doing a podcast and why on YouTube? Like, why, why did you decide to do it on YouTube? Did you already mention that or did we just go straight into it getting banned, basically? Not really. I think I just kept talking about it being banned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was just kind of like default. I don't, I don't know. It was just like the easiest thing for me to do at that point. Yeah. It was like what I knew how to do, I guess. And so I just put it on there. It was free, you know, <laughs> all of those things important to me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and the idea of doing a podcast was uh, just around the fact that so many people seem to really enjoy my opinion on things. Uh, and as a writer, it's a pretty good way to get your voice out there, I think, as well. Yeah, of course. And about this shit like nobody talks about the stuff that i talk about i had a podcast that's about like batman's girlfriend like <laughs> nobody talks about that shit yeah so, it is really interesting but it's important <laughs> yeah what's that it is really interesting because yeah he did have like that was a huge part of the comic from what i remember he's had so many girlfriends they all end up dead like <laughs> except for catwoman they all die yeah oh wait didn't he date batgirl 1.2 though that's creepy. That didn't happen, but it was okay. implied at one point and it was really goddamn sketchy because yeah. it's like, wow, you met her when she was like 17 or something. That's weird. Like she's like at least a decade younger than you. Like, come on. And the power dynamic there too, obviously. <laughs> not chill, not yeah. cool. Being weird to her. It's like, even at the very beginning, whenever Barbara Gordon first appeared in the comic, it was like him being like, no, no girls allowed. Fuck you. Like, <laughs> you'll just hurt yourself. So it's like, uh, yeah, I would totally date that guy. Like, what? <laughs> um, uh, okay, uh, how about we go on to art, unless you have anything else to say about podcasts? No, nah, not necessarily. Okay. So <laughs> They speak for themselves. Yeah. So what's the deal with art? I just I'm looking at your email again, and I see it says you do a bunch of paintings riffing on old lesbian pulp novel covers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Those are on Etsy, and they're on like uh probably like my Tumblr or something like that. Yeah. Uh, that was I did probably like 15 paintings in that series because I'm delighted by those novels and I think that they're wonderful. So <laughs> seeing like those covers that are just so scandalous about lesbians from like the 1950s, you know, that are just like you know but she thirsted for women or something like that and you're just like whoa she thirsted for women that sounds so intense and crazy and awesome were these, so like sorry, sorry go ahead uh were these written by men though oh depends some of them were some of them weren't what do you think some of them were actually written by lesbians oh yeah 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 huh yeah, during that time, you would have, like, there were, and people who, like, later were straight, you know, like, professionally straight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's, like, there's a one sci-fi writer who I can't pinpoint her name right now. Uh, gosh, I wish I could. But I remember reading about her in the Lesbian Pulp book. There's a whole collection of this. Huh. And in the collection, they talk about her as being, like, she wrote a bunch of these books, changed her name, got married, and then was like, I never wrote those books. 
Um, and so, um, what about the upcoming series? You said you're currently doing two other painting series right now. Yeah, one of them's uh, really giant paintings that are about Greek monsters. So a lot nice. of the ones I've done so far have been like, uh, the I think it's called the Dene. I'm probably saying that wrong, but it's like uh, <laughs> the three women that have one tooth and one eye between them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I did a painting of that. I did a painting of Medusa in like a dark cave. That was really fun to do and scary. It freaks everybody out. <laughs> uh, there's one of like the mermaid. There's a mermaid who's just like carrying a severed head while she's like <laughs> swimming through the water. Because uh, all those stories are so fucking dark. Yeah. And like just terrifying, so terrifying. I think that like Greek mythology and mythology in general gets a little bit sold short because people don't remember it as being as upsetting as it really is. Yeah, I did. I remember uh, Jim Henson did a series of like Muppet versions of them, not like Kermit and stuff, but like his style of puppets. And I, I don't think I ever watched it, but I think I heard it was pretty dark. And now I need to go back Whoa. and see if I can find those. That sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> um. Like what? Why painting? Like what drew you to painting then? <laughs> mm, Painting—it's just something I always did, you know. Like as a kid, uh, people, adults are annoying when you're like a really little kid, and <laughs> they always just kind of tell you annoying things. So to me, I was like, I'm just gonna get away from you guys, and here's how I'm gonna spend my time: was either by like reading or by drawing, um, and. There was, I remember explicitly, my mom left my dad at one point for about a year. And whenever she left, she took one of my brothers with her, but then left my other brother and me home Oof. in Nashville. So what we ended up doing was uh, calling her sometimes and things like that. And I sent her a drawing that I did of a duck. <laughs> and I remember her calling me later being like, that was really good. Everybody thinks that you're a great artist. And to me, it was just like, I'm good at something. Oh my fucking God. Like, <laughs> cool. I better get fucking really good at it though. So I just always have done it. Like I, that was probably like age four or something like that. Five. I don't know. Did you cultivate other influences over time or was it just, just Oh like, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think that like my, my work almost directly resembles at least in themes, Gilbert Hernandez a lot or like Raymond Pettibon. Okay. I'm not good with names of anything. So. Uh, Gilbert Hernandez did Love and Rockets or was one of the people behind the comic Love and Rockets. And okay. then Raymond Pettibon was like the person who did uh, like a lot of the black flag art, but then oh, afterwards right. has been in a lot of like museums and has had a lot of art shows and things like that. Yeah. So your influences are still pretty punk rock for drawing, I guess, overall. For everything. Yeah. For everything. <laughs> Why is that, do you think? Oh, I'm like a rebel. I'm against everything. Like, <laughs> whenever... I'm like a good person. I don't want to fuck anything up. But, like, I'm just mad at everything. Like, ever since I was a kid, I just want to fight everything. I'm an Aries. So I feel like that's, like, even just what we're supposed to do or something. So, like, I'm really happy if somebody gives me a project that's just insurmountable, really hard to do. Uh, I'm absolutely just stoked to be like walking really far up like a steep hill you know whenever i get to the top of the hill i'm like bummer let down <laughs> like uh you know yeah and i think that like punk has always been about something like you have to do it your own way like you're allowed to do it your own way 
the world is against you, but you're going to do it. And all of that stuff, I just relate to so much. And my whole life is about that stuff. Um, well, I think we've covered everything on your list pretty much, except for the last thing. Well, we we mostly covered your favorite things, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much most of what we've talked about, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, if I guess if there was like anything you really thought people should know, um. I guess we could start with other people's work and then your own work because you have so much fucking work. Like I was trying to catch up the last time we talked and go through a bunch of your stuff, but there's just so fucking much of it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess starting with um, other people's work, like is there anything that you really wish would catch on more that like you think people should know, like as far as yeah. zines, comics, whatever? Uh, as far as like music, I would say, I really think that the artist G Geneva Jacuzzi is really great. And I don't understand why she's not more famous. I feel the same way about my friend Scammers, who I did a tour with. Uh, his name is Phil Diamond. I believe that he sometimes plays with Jenny Diamond, his wonderful wife. Um, and those two artists, I think, cutting edge artists, uh, my friend Bigawat, I think should be way more famous than she does, than she is because she does all of this really fascinating performance art. Uh, as far as comics go, I think that a lot of comics that are becoming popular right now are done by queer people or by women. And I think that that's great. Mm -hmm. They're just getting better and better. Uh, I think that maybe like people could say that Love and Rockets is the best comic ever more often. <laughs> and that would make me feel better because I think it is. Um, but then, I don't know, all of this stuff that's super underground, I love the act of having to look it up. I love the act of like having to find things. So even if it's like in the age of the internet and things are way more readily available, I personally like don't use Amazon. You know, like that's the rule. Don't use Amazon to find something. You have to hunt it down in person. And um, it makes things a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in person. So, like, going to, like, the location that they might have their one cassette record at or something. Store. <laughs> yep. Go to the record store. Go to the comic store. Go to, like, the bookstore. But what about people that, like, only do things through, like, mail order or whatever? Other people will have to buy those books, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and uh, let's see. What about, like, underground film? Because you mentioned film as one of your that's like something you have strong opinions about like is there any underground film makers that like you're familiar with because like underground films Lucia seems... Puenzo I don't know if I'm saying that right okay Lucia Puenzo what what do they do uh did the movie The Fish Child and she did a movie that was uh called like The German Doctor or something like that uh, I haven't seen The German Doctor but I've seen a couple of her other films and I think she's absolutely brilliant gets no credit does a lot of movies that are about either lesbians or like uh, gender non-conforming people. Um, I think that her stuff is great. What kind of films are they besides LGBT? Dark. Dark, dark as fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indie films and like just dark uh, political thriller almost at one point, like just really crazy movies, like as far as uh, what they can encapsulate. Do they play at like film festivals or anything? Or are they just like, sometimes? I think okay. I don't know when her last one was. I think that she hasn't had one in a couple of years. Huh. Okay. I could be wrong about that though, and I'm sure that they do. She's an international filmmaker, so uh, you know, outside of America, she's probably really well known or something. Okay. Oh, and you mentioned books. Are there is there anybody writing sort of like underground novels that you're really a fan of or familiar? Mm -hmm. 
Mm, yeah, I mean, uh, right now I'm doing a residency, obviously, with like Mint My Dress Press, and I think everything that they do is great. Uh, yeah. Osa's book is incredible. They put Osa's book out. Yeah, the shotgun, uh, shotgun seamstress. Yeah. And uh, just a lot of the stuff that they carry. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a ton of writers out there right now that are doing great stuff. A lot of them have podcasts and things like that. But uh, yeah, I would say like um, Jordana Elizabeth is really good. I love Miranda July's books. I think that she's <laughs> incredible. Uh, and a lot of the stuff that I end up reading is um, nonfiction, I think, for the most part. But I do still really enjoy a really good novel. Yeah. And um, what about your own stuff then? Like, what do you think of your own stuff that is like, if people were just going to check out like one or two of your things, like what do you think they should be looking for? So, I mean, obviously a lot That's of interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's, it's really across the board. I guess you could check my YouTube because there's like all of it's kind of on YouTube, except for the comic book. I put out a comic book that's still in print called cut. Oh, cool. uh, and that one is on Etsy, which you can check out. Eventually, there will be a downloadable copy whenever I can have more than 30 seconds of downtime. <laughs> um, but I guess like a lot of the upcoming stuff will be good. There's short films on YouTube right now, but I'm going to do a few more short films. I'm about ready to make a movie, two movies, the filmed version of Aquarium, and then also the movie. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I it's just kind of hard to say. I just keep checking my Etsy, I guess, because I'm about ready to put a whole bunch of stuff on there that's just prints of art that I've done. Nice. Um, yeah, it's really... Oh, and I'm doing... There's a four-way split that's coming out, I think, this month or maybe is already out that's uh, with Diva93, Psycho Friend, and Bad Psychic. And they're all really experimental and really awesome artists. And it's put out by Harry Spiderlegs. So check them <laughs> out as well. Um, how, uh, I'm just curious. How'd you end up on that split? Diva93 you... uh, sent me an email along with the, the other two women and was just like hey let's do this like split tape is it crazy <laughs> we do it and then we were just kind of like yeah let's do it uh so we hit up patrick at harry spider legs and it turns out that he's just one of the nicest and most supportive people in the world so he was really excited about doing all of this work that he's done for it and we really appreciate him for that because we mostly just like recorded songs i recorded my songs in a car uh, <laughs> like because like my roommates were really loud at the time and I couldn't like get them to stop being loud so I had to like go into a car to record <laughs> that's cool mm -hmm. um, so like you're parked right <laughs> right I was parked that would have been even more amazing if I had done it while driving across country or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> um well cool I mean let's see if anything else to add I think that covers it for me hi <laughs> that's all geez <laughs> oh i'm going to a lot of zine fests uh, okay. this year so i'm going to be at short run in seattle for halloween i'm going to be at the new orleans zine fest i think that is november 14th and then i'm going to be at the milwaukee zine fest that's going to be on november 28th and more to come next year how do you afford to do all this <laughs> it's like this really constant poverty it's like constantly <laughs> thinking like, oh, how am I going to eat tomorrow? Like those kind of feelings where you're yeah. like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like everything just seems like it's going to collapse any second. But then at that exact moment, somebody will be like, can I pay you $150 to do a painting of my cat? 
or something like that. And I'm just like, yeah, absolutely. And then I survive for another week. Has it ever collapsed or have you ever turned anything down? Uh, there's been a couple of times where I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know exactly what to do, but the art community is wonderful. So like, usually what ends up happening is like, there's a network of people who will like save my ass again and again. And, uh, I really can't say enough how much I appreciate the group of people who have really supported my art, bought things and then been like, Oh yeah, you can stay on my couch for a week or something like that. Cause many times it has been like an artist right and what about turning things like has it ever been like that close to like just losing it and then got an offer that you couldn't take Ooh, no i i think i take offers even whenever i like don't think that i have enough time to do it because i have a really unrealistic sense of time (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kind of like, wow, I'm doing a million other things. Yeah, of course I'll take that article. <laughs> like, of course I will. And then it takes me like three days to write the article that I like didn't plan for. And I make like $40. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about like something that you find objectionable? Like, would you just take it and Ooh, find no, a way to No, 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 no. I would never do that. That's been, that's why I feel like I'm constantly on the, like teetering. Yeah. Constantly. So like, it's not my work ethic that puts me in this position. It's the fact that I am constantly working. I don't take offers that seem at all morally shady. Like I'm right. not willing to work with people who I don't respect. There's been many, many instances of me just being like, no, like somebody will ask me to play a festival that's sponsored by some people who I really hate or something like that. And it's just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm starting to be a little bit less shitty about that. But like, I've definitely been, that person who just like again and again will be like, no, sorry, it doesn't work for me just because I don't want anyone to take any control from me. Yeah. I never, I never at one point, um, Kelly Gallagher, uh, got an email from some ad agency about doing an ad with her, like, uh, her trademark sort of stop motion glittery sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, she just posted the email like on Facebook and just laughed at them for (laughs) asking her to do something for a corporation. (laughs) And you know that she's struggling. And that's something that's really interesting about that person. And a lot of like, a lot of the women artists that I know of, honestly, that are working on the down low right now are people who work extremely hard, but we don't compromise our morals. Yeah. I mean, she's, working in academia but she's like you uh-huh. she uh she like struggles really hard to get names like what was it like uh i'm losing the name now the first uh the woman female producer that like made a lot of the first earliest hollywood films and everything um uh there's a lot oh, <laughs> i guess like yeah or do you mean alice de Blaché or like I, I think so i was thinking alice something so i think that's probably it um but yeah, yeah. she'll she'll uh, criticize like uh, Woody Allen and uh, Polanski and stuff for mm-hmm. still being canon to, while all these other female make filmmakers are being ignored and everything. And oh yeah, that's you know. offensive as fuck. <laughs> yeah, so it's great she's in that. It is great she's in academia. Like I guess, like she's there fighting that fight there too. Fuck oh, Boris. <laughs> and then there's there's a the woman who played as Tracy in the Plastics. She does the same where she's working in academia, but she did like obviously these really wonderful projects that were very media like centered so it's like these are people who like uh yeah they're just kind of even if they're working in academia i think that there's that's a slight difference than 
because it you're still under the pretense that like at least you could be teaching someone at least you could be helping someone yeah um, even though there's like a lot of corruption in that system as well yeah they serve like a hostage audience and at that point too like they have to understand listen to them (laughs) (laughs) um but uh yeah i guess that's it (laughs) yay all right cool thanks for talking to me Thank you for the interview. I'm glad that it worked. Yeah, seriously. That was, <laughs> it was kind of touching go there for a while. <laughs> All right. Well, have an awesome day. You too. Good luck with uh, the thing you're writing. Oh, yeah. All of the millions of work I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry to take time away from it, but uh, good luck. No, no. It was good. Thank you. Right, bye. Bye. <laughs>
Hello, you have reached the voicemail box for the Undressing Underground podcast. Please leave your message after the beep. Rick, put that koala down. Stop shagging those things. You'll get disease. That was Sarah Century. The last song was I Got a Girlfriend in Canada, but we're open if you are. Off of uh, the Harry Spider Legs party music tape. You can get that at their website, harryspiderlegs.com. It's up for pre order right now. It also features Bad Psychic, Divan93, and Psycho Friend. And I think they all contribute four songs to it. Yep. No. Only Sarah Century does, I guess, because she's really fucking special, right? Anyway, also come back next week, as I've mentioned so many goddamn times now, because it's the Edgar Allan Poe Halloween special. You can still submit your own poems, not your poems, but your own readings, performances, whatever, of Edgar Allan Poe's poems. Uh, it'll be a lot better, because I won't be speaking as much, so it'll be less of me fucking up words and s- saying, um, and just my fucking nasally voice in general. God damn. Can't wait for that. Anyway... So far for that, we have T. Volpone performing Alone, Jennifer C. Martin and her husband performing Annabelle Lee, Brandon Dumais, I I never asked him how to say his last name, so I'm just guessing, but he's performing The Bells, Sarah Century has performed Bernice, Arvo Zylo is doing The Imp of the Perverse, The Smudge is doing his interpretation of the raven and mother whore will be doing a version of the telltale heart some additional music might be provided by ghosts of dead tables or else you can ask her and she will do music for your own poetry reading if you don't have any music of your own So please come back for that. I'm excited. What I've heard has been a lot of fun. Uh, Jennifer C. Martin drank absinthe for the first time in order to do hers. So that was fun. Funny. Funny. Uh, What else? This Friday, come back for Kinsey Unicorns' chat with the Gaijin from, I guess, Jezebel and the Salad Bowl. And maybe we'll finally play Blurg's little rape joke during that. It's another Jezebel person. Is there anything else? I guess there is. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, what have you. Also on YouTube, I guess we'll keep putting up bonus stuff as we record additional things that don't make it into the podcast. And 
if you wanna, you can send us some money through PayPal or Patreon. Those links are on the blog, undressingunderground.com. You can send me your guest suggestions at robinundressingunderground.com. And I guess that's it. Do you want to say something, Boris? You want to cry? No, I just want to rip up my chair. Okay, you little fucker. Until next time. I don't have an outgoing out phrase. Bye.